Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. Wasn't that a great time of baptism and worship? Uh, worship and baptism. What a, a thank you, worship team. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. We're, we're thanking them, but we're also thanking God that he has used them to draw us out of our little worlds into his big world. Worship lifts us, doesn't it? Worship takes us out of our own little worlds and brings us into a greater life, to live larger lives rather than smaller lives. And uh, that's what our text of Scripture is going to do today as well as we look into it, as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians. So let's uh, bow our heads and hearts and hair brief, uh, briefly, and then we'll look into God's holy word. Let's pray. Our great God, we do come before you today, and what a privilege it has been to worship your name. We've, we have heard the gospel and song. We've read the word of God. We, we've heard it exposed to us, and so now we come and we adore you. We praise you. We lift up your name. We've confessed our sins, but we know we're not the end of our sins. We still have more to confess. And so you know our hearts, and you know we need you always, every day. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We ask that you'd continue to work in us. You know every person in this room. You know, you know the pains in every person's heart. You know the joys. You know the challenges. You know the hopes and the dreams. And so we come into your presence today asking for you to meet us. And as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, we ask this same thing, Lord. We pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened that we might know the hope uh, of our calling, that the, understand the riches of the inheritance and the saints, that we might know the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe. We need that. And we ask that now as we look into your word, you'd be with the one who teaches, that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. Hope we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just love that. Three little guys. Three little guys being baptized, Carter, Logan, and Jack. You should have seen, I, I didn't see the other two before service, but, uh, but Jack was in here walking around while the band was playing, while the worship team was gearing up, and it was loud. And he was unafraid. He just came up and stared them down. Came right up here. It was like, I'm going to be up there one day. I loved it. You know, those little guys are going to be up there one day. Maybe not on the worship team, but in leadership. And it's so important for us as a church and what we do. What's going on back there with Mark Nix right now? Mark's preaching to all those kids. I think we should stop and pray again. <laughs> the gospel has to get through to them, right? We're, the church is a multi-generational movement of God. And we've got to develop those young ones. What an exciting, exciting uh, thing it is to see a church like this. And all, and all of its multifaceted nature and all of the generations worshiping together. We know as we look in the, in the book of Ephesians that what it's about, what the gospel is about. And we have heard the gospel today, haven't we? We have sung the gospel. We've had, the, we've had it read. We, we understand the gospel. We've heard it today. But in a very real sense, as we go back to Christmas, we remember that at Christmas was the great break in of the eternal son of God who broke into this world. And he broke in that the gospel could make a difference and then break out in all of our lives. We know at the core that Christmas is not about a baby, but about a baby who grew up. About a baby who grew up and kept the law perfectly, taught the law of God perfectly, and then 
fulfilled the law perfectly for us on the cross as he took our curse. We know that that the great break in that took place was so that there could be a break out of the gospel through us. And so today, as we look into this text of scripture, uh, we, we realize that historically, what has the church been? The church has been boots on the ground. And I, I love the missions. I only have two kinds of shoes, boots and running shoes. I'm sorry. It's my, it's my problem. There it is. But I love the analogy of boots on the ground. That's what we've, we are. And that's what the church has been. It's been boots on the ground. Why? Because the gospel broke in and then it broke into people's lives and then it broke out. And, and, and these very simple people in a very tiny country in Israel changed the world. They became world changers and they're still world changers. And, and, and that's what we look at today when we get into this text. What the apostle Paul is doing in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, my, one of my very favorite texts of scripture is he's showing the way we were before the gospel and the way we are now after the gospel, how the gospel is literally broken into us and broken out through us and how it can continue to do that. So let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. This is God's holy word where the apostle Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he speaks to the Gentile believers in Ephesus, Asia Minor, he says, and you You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." But God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show forth the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then verses that a lot of you have memorized for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. I love this text. I love this text. Sports Illustrated is another text I read once in a while. And this past week, they had uh, an edition that came out and uh, uh, tucked in the very back of Sports Illustrated was a story that caught my eye. Now, that was not the cover story. The cover story was about the Clemson Tigers' uh, incredible win over University of Alabama. And some of you are here today, I have it on good order, because you are still grieving deeply that God's team lost in the national championships. I think the elders are willing to pray and lay hands on you who are still grieving. Some of you don't care. Some of you are happy that Alabama fell. There it is. That was the cover story. Uh, Clemson Tigers and their Christian quarterback, who's going to be around a whole lot longer, looks like. 
If you're an Alabama fan, you're cringing right now because he isn't going away. Unless he gets injured, you could pray for that. But the story, (laughs) if you're totally depraved, you could pray for that. But the story that got my attention was at the back of Sports Illustrated about a guy uh, that was from Southern California and grew up. His name was Todd Marinovich. Some of you never heard that name, but his picture was there. And there he was, uh, Levi's, a, 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 a corduroy coat, beanie cap. He looked like he had been road hard and hung up wet. Man, I tell you, almost 50 years of age, Todd Marinovich was his name, uh, is his name. And I'll tell you, the story is interesting. The way he was, the way he was, uh, he was, uh, well, what does the article say? It says, he is the first test tube quarterback for the first part of his life and a drug addict for the second half. And if you remember that name, you know that he was, he was raised by his father to be a quarterback, a youth quarterback, then quarterback at the University of Southern California, and then two years with the uh, Oakland Raiders uh, team, and then the rest of that time. From then on, uh, he, he was, he's been a drug addict. Why? Because he was living a lie. His father raised him to be a quarterback. That meant that he was raised under the demands of you must perform. You will be a quarterback. He was doted upon. His sister said that the family revolved around him. He was doted upon, yes. He was given everything, but he was forced to become everything as a quarterback. And, and, and so when people saw this, when the news saw this young boy coming up through the ranks, when he, when he got into uh, young adulthood, they said, do you like this? Do you like this kind of environment? And he said, oh, of course, my dad and I are real close. This works really, really good. I love it. I love it. It's great. He was living a lie. He hated it. He hated it. He didn't even know if he liked football. And he went into drugs because that was the only way he could cope. And just now, just now, just now, he's coming to face the lie that he lived. The, art, name, the article title is Learning to be Human. Just now, he's through counseling and through drug addiction counseling, he's just being able to say, I lived a lie. He's barely able to say that. He's learning to become human by facing up to the reality of what his life had been. Students, your parents are trying to get you truth because if you live a lie, you're living hell on earth like Todd Marinovich. And that's why students, your parents are always trying to show you how to live, teaching you the Bible while we have a Christian uh, Bible study going on right now, children's worship, why they're Christian schools, why we do what we do, because we need to get truth into the lives of our kids. Otherwise, they'll live a lie and wake up one day and know that they're not human. They'll be living hell on earth. But it's, the jury's out for Todd. He's not a Christian. He doesn't know the gospel. I don't know what's going to happen to him. I don't know if he's even going to really get to the point of saying, yeah, I hated my youth, but now I want to be different. Maybe he's so addicted now he can't move on. I say all that to say this, that in what Paul is teaching us in this text today is so powerful because what he's doing is he's showing us in these 10 verses the way we were before Christ and the way we are now in Christ. And the way we are in Christ now is the way to true humanity, the way, to, the way we were supposed to be, the way we can really live, the w- true life, true life. And that's why this text is so important and why we have to understand it, live in it, uh, and, 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 and tear it apart. If we get these truths into our life, 
Ah, we can become truly human as God designed for us to be, set free in Christ. And so let's talk about it. Let's talk about the way we were and the way we are. The way we were, there was an old movie about that, right? Sometime. I don't know what it was about. It just, it was about the way they were. Um, so the way we were is, is found in verses one through three. And, and trust me, as Mark said last week, Ephesians has got so much in this text that it's packed densely. There's so much truth in the book of Ephesians that, you know, you could pre, I'm just getting started after 45 minutes. And I'm not telling you this is going for 45 minutes. I'm telling you we have a business meeting afterwards. It can't go for 45 minutes. The elders will drag me off of, of up here, but there's so much truth in here that it's absolutely important for us to understand. He starts out and he says, you were dead in your trespasses in sin. Notice that when Paul says, and you were dead, Paul is, what ethnicity is Paul? Talk to me. What's his ethnicity? That's easy for you to say. What's his ethnic background? There, I got that out. He is Jewish. What were the Ephesians? They were Gentiles. And so here is this Jewish Christian apostle pointing his Jewish finger at them, and he's saying, you were dead in your trespasses in sin. You were dead. I love that. Uh, Spiritually dead in your trespasses. All of you Gentiles. This is the ugly truth that we never wanted to face when people were presenting the gospel to us years ago, that we were dead, that there wasn't a spark of life in us spiritually, that we really didn't want anything to do with God. This is the hardest truth to accept in becoming a Christian, is that we're spiritually dead and there's nothing really good in us, that we're dead and defective. It's really bad news. And by the way, this is very bad news if you're a dedicated humanist or a religionist. If you're a religionist, that means somebody trying to earn your salvation, and Paul says you're dead and you're trespassed, like Jews were, for instance. If you're dedicated to earning your own righteousness and offsetting your bad with good and becoming saved because you did all kinds of good things, this is bad news. Because if you're spiritually dead, you can't do any good, right? And if you're a committed humanist, where everybody is saying, you know, you're just a good guy. You're a guy. I almost brought it in. Um, one of my many medals from running races. I won one the other day, or the other year, two years ago. It was in the um, 50 to 60-year-old category, and I got a medal. Guess how many people there were in that category? Three? Guess what my medal was for? Third place. You saw that coming, didn't you? Ah, it's terrible. But the reality is we love to talk about how good we are. We get medals for stuff we don't really accomplish. Humanism is an amazing lie. You're good. You're you're not bad. You just got to dig down deep and find God in you. No, when Paul says you're dead and your trespasses and sin, this is really, really bad news. And And it goes even, it gets even worse because you see what happened is that Adam was dead and Eve was dead first, and they passed it on to us. You want to know what the most infectious disease in the world is? Sin. Uh, and and, and the, it killed them, and then they passed it on to us. It's, it, it's in our genetic code because it's in, it's in, it was in their genetic code. And these three little boys that we baptized this morning still need Jesus, don't they? Absolutely, they do. 
Uh, and, and I've told you, my grandchildren are better than yours, but let me tell you, they need Jesus really bad. And I can't wait until they accept Christ. They need what's in their genetic code. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And that's why in Romans 5, 12, Paul says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin, uh, you see, and some of you are saying, I see, I told you it was the men. Sin came through the man. Well, yes and no. Yes, the word men here in Romans 5.12 is the word anthropos, which, was, which means men and women, humanity. So death came to us through Adam and Eve, and it spread to all of us. And we were born sinners. You see, we don't sin and become sinners. We're sinners, and so we sin. We do what comes naturally. We're wrapped up in trespasses and sin. And when Paul uses those two words, trespasses and sins, he covers the gamut. Trespasses stands for those revealed teachings of God in Holy Torah, in the Old Testament, wherever it's found. Trespasses means a violation of God's revealed word. Um, Have we done that? Yep. Uh, sins is the word hamartia, which come, is really a shooting sin. For those of you who shoot or shoot or whatever, shooting, a shooting sin is missing the mark. In other words, you, 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 you've been shooting at the right target, but you've missed it. And so basically sin is, hamartia is in the way we think, in the words we speak, in the actions we take. And I love the basketball coach who one year was interviewed about how his team was doing. He said, well, we're not doing good. He said, we can't win at home. We can't win on the road. I can't think of any place else to play. <laughs> you know? And so when Paul says that we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we violated God's word, but then also with sins, we've, in the way we think, the words of our mouth, and the actions we take, I can't think of any place else to sin. So he's got us in what MMA uh, fighters call the rear naked choke. He has got us, and we can't get out. And the only way to get out of it is to tap out and say, guilty, I'm dead, I can't do this. I like, I, I like what William Barclay says. He says, sin killed our innocence, it killed our ideals, and it killed our wills. It killed our innocence. Once you lose your innocence, you can't get it back. Uh, it kills our ideals. Once you sin, you can justify another sin. And, and it kills our wills. We lose grip on ourselves, And sin takes over. Let me add one more. It kills our nature. Uh, we were alive to God, but now we're dead to God. And that's why Origen, the early church father, said, the scars remain. Ah, don't they? The scars remain. Sitting around here, you are sitting next to somebody who has tears to shed, even as they think about their past. Because the scars do remain from the way we've lived. Now look at verse 2. Paul makes it excruciatingly clear in these verses. He said, here it is again. He says, you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you walked. He points his Jewish finger at them again. You Gentiles. And we're Gentiles, aren't we? So this applies to us. You Gentiles. You, you're dead in your trespasses and sin in which you walked according to the course of this world. Uh, you're doing what everybody used to, 
You, you Ephesians think you're so wonderful, but you're just doing what everybody else does around you. Have you ever noticed that people who are notorious sinners think they're pretty creative because they're doing something that's really bad. And so they're really special, you know, like I am really bad. Aren't I cool? No, you're just like everybody else down through history. What history is, it's seen sin being copied by other sinners and applied and reduplicated and done in different ways. You know, Hitler's uh, camps. Where did Hitler get the idea of his camps? He got it from Stalin. Stalin been doing, he thought Stalin was doing such a good job at that. He, he did the same thing. And we do the same thing today. It's going on all around us. We're walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, this is where it gets worse, Paul says, because now he's saying to the Ephesians, you Gentiles are doing everything that Satan did. Like father, like son, like father and mother, like son and daughter. You're just following your father, Satan. Doesn't get much worse than that. Uh, how, how, how can I describe how much Satan hates you? I don't know. I thought about this. I do not have a good illustration of how much Satan hates people. But he hates you. And he loves to dangle it in front of you. He overpromises, underdelivers. He loves it when we buy into the idols that he puts in front of us, the bait that he puts out there. He says, bite on this. And we do. And then he just reels us in and just cuts us up. He loves it because he hates us. And so as we follow him, that's what he does. He destroys us. He jumps with joy of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Take a breath, Paul. Enough bad news is enough bad news. No, he goes on, verse three. He's not gonna let us up yet as he tells us the way we were. Verse three, he brings the hammer down. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the lust and of the of, a, of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I love it. Finally, Paul takes that big Jewish finger and what does he do? He points it back at himself. He said, we Jews were the same way. We were just like the Gentiles. All of us, 100% of us are condemned under sin. Uh, we all walk that way. We Jews were the same way. We were the zombie apocalypse. Mark brought that up a couple of weeks ago. I haven't been able to get that out of my head. I'm telling you the honest truth. I'm thinking about zombies. Why, why is our culture just gripped with zombies? There's zombie movie after zombie movie. I don't watch them, but they intrigue me. What are zombies? The Walking Dead. And they are everywhere. Not like you see in the Brad Pitt movie, but they're everywhere. That's the way we used to be. We were the walking dead. We thought we were alive. The way we were was that we were literally the walking dead. And we thought we were, we thought we had it all together. And so the apostle Paul says, no, the way you were was that you were the walking dead. Okay. Now, finally, after these three verses, you see, he gives us some good news in verses four through 10, but there's never good news unless you first had what? Bad news. 
You never understand good news until you have bad news. And so he drills down and he says, this is the way we were. And now he gives the big break in. See, what we're trying to figure out here is how the big break in of Jesus Christ in the first Christmas, how the first break in got to the break in into our house, our hearts. How did the work of Christ get from the cross to our hearts? How did it get from the break in to the to the break-ins break-in into our life. That's what he's telling us now as he talks about how the gospel power actually got inside of you and inside of me. And this is why we focus on grace. He says, but God, but God, those two words is the most profound contrast. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the, you did all of that, but God, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. The the break-in, these two words rock my world, but God. Because as I read Romans 3, as I read the diagnosis of the sin nature, dead is dead. And I, you know, I do some hunting and I... I've seen dead things. And it's not pretty. I've buried dead people. And death is awful. And I've hung out with the living dead. I was the living dead. It's not pretty. But God. But God. A perfectly righteous God loves perfectly unrighteous people. I do not have categories for that. We hear it every week. It's astonishing. It's stunning. What's in it for God? (laughs) What's his motive? Us. He just wanted you. Because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his grace. Mercy is withholding what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And it's all motivated by his incredible love. God's agape love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And so even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. I saw saw this this week. In a couple that I married years ago, uh, when they called me frantically on the phone and said, uh, there's been infidelity. And and when that happens, there's anger, there's rage, murderous rage. And yet I I began already in one week to begin to see forgiveness. And And I've never seen it that, that quick in any couple, ever. What, what does God get out of it? it? It's just what he does. It's just who he is. Um, the interesting thing about this verse is, verses one through 10, it's all one verse in the original Greek, and now we get to some verbs. What is it actually that Jesus did for us? Well, he made us alive. 
He made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he could show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He raised us up. He made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us. These are the three verbs that are so important. What did the work of Christ do? He raised us up. How did the work of Christ get from the cross and from the resurrected tomb into your heart and into my heart? He raised us up. It's a work of the Spirit. It's, it's, it's John chapter 3. The Spirit of God moves where he wills, like the wind. We got some wind here today, some wind last night. Uh, you don't know where it comes from, where it's going, but you see its effect. That's how we get, how we get saved. That the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, is taken and applied into our hearts We who are dead, we who are the walking dead are made walking, living beings. He raises, and then he raises up and he seated us in in, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Dead people made spiritually alive, raised a new life, and seated in the heavenly places. Now this is, don't, don't miss that last one, by the way. Seated in the heavenly places. Where is your life? Where is my life right now? Paul says that the core of our life is that we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Now, that, that's outrageous. You say, well, aren't we aliens and strangers living in this world now? This is not my, work, my, my home. I'm just a passing through. Uh, you know, I'm an alien and I'm a stranger, right? Would we all agree with that? This is not a trick question. You agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. That's the way we are. And yet, if you just think of yourself as an alien and a stranger, you will think of yourself as powerless. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians, if then, or since then, you've been raised up with Christ, Colossians 3.1, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, for you've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And that's why in Ephesians, Paul says, our power. We've been seated with Christ and God. That's our power. Where's our life? With him now. And so in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace to us and kindness in Christ Jesus. Guys, let me talk to you for a second. Because when you think of eternity, what do you think of? Sometimes guys think of eternity as the never ending, the never ending worship service where we are going to have to sing every day, 24, 7, 365. And if you're like me, you can't carry a tune in a bucket. You see, I'm going to have to croak like that to God forever. This, this is so cool. In heaven, the reality is we're going to be not only gaining more knowledge and learning and growing and being involved in active things and, and glorifying God, yes, but the reality is uh, he will be unpacking a great gift to us every day. He will be unpacking the riches of his grace. Now, guys, it's not just for you, it's for all of us. The way we are is that we are people who are connected to the, literally to the power in heaven every day, and, and, and we're going someplace, and one day we will unpack riches for eternity. Great gifts every I always, I like good gifts. I like Christmas when we unpack the good gifts, you know? When you, when you unpack a bad gift, do you say, oh, this is horrible? No. <laughs> Eternity will always be good gifts 
the riches and kindness of God. Now, just so we don't miss it, Paul pulls this together and he puts, puts it all together in verses 8, 9, and 10. By grace you've been saved through faith and what? That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. That's the deal. We are his workmanship. Where does it all come from? Christian salvation is all of God. And Paul wants us to make clear that we know that we are his workmanship. How do we apply this? Real quick. I encourage us to think of this text as one of those texts that maybe we ought to memorize, live in, and drink in. I mean, this is... If you're going to memorize a passage of Scripture, I encourage you to do this. Live in this text because it tells us the way we were and the way we are. And it's so powerful because as we think about it and chew it, chew on it, it renews our mind and it causes us to worship. This could be a text that could be a Saturday night text before Sunday morning. Why am I even going on Sunday morning? Because I've done it forever. No, because... See, even us guys, little harder hearts, we can worship when we understand the way we were and now the way we are. Uh, and, and this is what grace does. Grace makes the heart light. It makes us want to worship and sing even if all we can do is croak. Um, so drink in this text, live in it, and remember the way you were. Some of us have followed Jesus for so long, we forgot the way we were. We forgot we were the walking dead and thought we've always been the walking life givers, the walking paragons of virtue. And that's why this text is so important, because the longer we follow Jesus, the more we move from being a younger brother to the older brother. The younger brother who's the profligate guy that wastes his life to the older brother who thinks he's got it all together and isn't God blessed to have me and God needs to take care of me. And so I, I love this text because as we, as it forces us to remember the way we were and, 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 and focus upon the grace of God, keeping grace at the very center of our lives. I'm going to play racquetball this week with a young guy, 30 years younger than I am. And I'm telling you right now, he's going to kill me. That's just the way it is. I have a plan on it. I like what Brian Regan, the comedian, said. He said, racquetball is the only game in the world where you can hit the ball. The ball can hit the front wall and the back of your head at the same moment. I fully expect that's going to happen. But if he gets in front of me, I'm hitting him. That's just the way the game goes. I am going to lose. But I want you to know, uh, grace is an amazing thing. Because just like racquetball, you hit the front wall, hit the back wall, and the back of your head. Grace is, is an amazing, energizing power of God that helps you remember the past the way you were without becoming overburdened by it and keeps you on the grow and not becoming an older brother. Grace helps you look at what you were. But remember who you are now by God's mercy, by his favor that he's given to you and gets you on the grow. Oswald Chambers put it this way. I read it this morning. Being born again is from above is perennial, perpetual, and an eternal beginning of freshness all the time in thinking and in talking and in living the continual surprise of the life of God. Staleness is an indication that something is out of joint with God. And so as we focus upon this, God makes us less fragile. 
keeps our faith fresh. That's what grace does. Keeps us fresh. Keeps us humble. Keeps us moving ahead. Keeps us boots on the ground. Advancing the kingdom. And if by chance you are here today and you say, well, I'm still back on the way we were. I never got to the, I've never been changed yet. Well, you're in the right place. Because we'd love to help you get, up, if you're interested in moving from the way you were to the way you could be, that's not, if you're interested in that, that's a work of God already going on in your heart. And we would love to talk to you about that. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Just a sec. Guys, this is a powerful text. Uh, there's, a, there's a book many of you have read. It's entitled... Um, getting to yes, negotiating agreement without giving in. One thing I realized is that I am a great negotiator with God. And, and um, you know, you do this and I'll do this. And then and he just smiles. And he says, you remember what you were? Now remember who you are in Jesus. And then I relax. And I could follow. Grace continues to energize growth and keeps our faith fresh. You take it to heart. Let's pray together. So, if you, if you are in the way you have always been, and like Todd Marinovich would love to get changed, then we invite you to the only one that can change the hardest object on the planet, which is the human heart. And if you are interested in having a life that is not following the way everybody else is living, but a life that will set you free and build you in Christ, then we invite you to simply do what we've done, and that is to to repent of, our, of your past, just say, I was wrong. To say something like this to God, God, I've been, a, I've been rebellious. I've done my own thing and I thought it was a good thing. But I've been living a lie and I want to live free, forgiven. And I want to move ahead. I want to become somebody, finally, somebody living in the truth. And so today I confess my sins and I embrace Jesus. And I don't know all of what that means, but today I want to embrace Jesus. Come into my life and make me what you want me to be. Living God, we come into your presence today. All of us. And we pray that by your spirit, you would make fresh our walk with you by allowing grace to energize us, to help us be thankful that you took us from the way we were and have made us the way we are. We give you full credit. We humble ourselves. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified as we live this life this coming week. As we end our time of worship, we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.